In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. One of the more terrifying and perplexing verses of sacred Scripture is when the Lord Jesus, who was born as the Prince of Peace, says, do you think I have come to establish peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. I mean, first of all, this sounds very strange, doesn't it? I mean, our Lord is the second person of the Blessed Trinity. He comes to reveal the Trinity in unity. God is Himself unity in diversity. And for centuries, people waited for a Messiah to bring them peace, not continued warfare. Our present age, which always seeks to make our Lord in our own image and likeness rather than the other way around, seeks to ignore or drown out those words of the Lord that make us feel uncomfortable. Jesus has become this benign, vague preacher of platitudes who just kind of sits there and coos at little children, and if we're lucky, can grant us our wishes for earthly comfort if we just want it hard enough. So when things don't go the way we think they should, people turn their back on Christ and His church and wander around in search of everything and everyone that can give them peace except actually who can. Let us rid ourselves of every burden and sin that clings to us and persevere in running the race that lies before us while keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. We read those words in the letter to the Hebrews. When we look around to try to discover what causes division, where does this come from? Sin is what causes division. Not because God causes us to sin, that's not what he means by I come to bring division, but it's because when we choose to disobey the truth, it separates us from God, and it separates us from each other as well. The center cannot hold. Things fall apart. People come to me sometime to tell me these stories about how their families, their marriages, their workplaces, their society is falling apart, and it doesn't take very long to scratch beneath the surface to realize that at the root is the effect of the slithery serpent. Now, of course, we're always very quick to call out another's sin and slow to recognize our own. That's part of the normal human experience. That's what we do. But whether we are on the giving or the receiving end of sin, sometimes we're not the one who's done something, right? But we have to deal with the mess created by other people. Whether we're the giver or the receiver of sin, what we experience as the result is division. And then the sadness, anger, and frustration that brings about. But notice something. The letter to the Hebrews tells us that we are to rid ourselves of every burden and sin. This is very powerful stuff when you think about it, but it's also very freeing. Because we 
spend so much time and energy trying to change other people, trying to force others to do our will. We think our anger and our activism is going to bring about unity and peace. You know, I think if we sat down and tried to work out the percentages of how much our time and energy is spent on other people's drama, then we might be surprised. We often take on these things from other people, sometimes even people who wouldn't even know who we were if they saw us in the street. We get all bent out of shape about things that are happening in our government or things happening in our church or on our favorite sports team, that it causes us to lose our interior peace, and we take on all of this stuff. And the Lord is like, I didn't ask you to take any of that on. I want you to be free from all of that. Now, don't get me wrong. I think it is right to call out injustice when we see it, but there is a certain sense in which we just can't take on another person's burden. Now, I'm not talking about the corporal and social works of mercy, and that's not what I'm talking about, okay? There are times in which we can help someone to carry a burden, like Simon of Cyrene carrying the cross of Jesus for a time. But as much as we may want to see that cross lifted from them, it is their burden. We can't save another person from sin. Only the blood of Jesus can do that. But we often take on these burdens that our Lord has not asked us to carry. We weigh ourselves down with other people's issues. We channel the emotions of others in a misguided attempt at empathy. And then in that place, because we're so frustrated and we're so distracted from the one thing necessary, that then we add to that sin. And it doesn't matter whether it's venial or mortal, it's still sin, and only we can choose to stop it. There has to be a moment in which we say, when we see these things around us, not my circus, not my monkeys, right? I need to focus on what the Lord has actually given me in my vocation in life and in myself, to overcome those things. And if you really do that, then you have plenty on your plate, right? Sometimes we want to escape that and distract ourselves from that because sometimes it's easier to try to help other people because we don't really want to help ourselves, right? Again, that's a normal human thing. If you're experiencing that, don't get down on yourself. That's a normal human experience. But our Lord also wants us to be free from all of that. You know, sometimes we hear this message of the world, well, you know what, you're only human. You know, the gospel, it's a nice ideal, but no mortal can ever live up to that. Jesus is all mercy, so he understands, he gets it, and I can just go to confession and make it all go away. 
But here's the thing. You're not only human. You are what the church fathers call kapax dei, capable of God. The gospel is the ultimate truth and reality. The imitation of our Lord Jesus Christ is the way to surest peace. Our Lord and His good news that reveals our inner nature and what makes us truly great. Jesus is an inexhaustible fountain of mercy, but we do actually have to be sorry for our sins, ask for forgiveness, do reparation when we've damaged others, and make a firm purpose of amendment to change our lives. That firm purpose of amendment is like, you know, I really wish I didn't do that. That's just not nice. What are you doing about it? What is the, re- the resolution? Concrete, practical things that you're putting in place and holding yourself accountable to. There's the old saying, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Intention is not enough. Otherwise, the priest can pronounce the words of absolution over us a million times, but they're not actually going to do anything if we're just using the sacrament of penance as a crutch to soothe our compulsions, thinking maybe this way I'll just get to heaven by just a little bit. Now, you may be thinking, hmm, okay, Father, let's pack our bags, we're going on a guilt trip here, right? That's not the case at all. It's actually very much the opposite. The point is not to cause you to despair thinking, okay, I can never do this, this is horrible. Well, you don't have to do it by yourself, right? You have the grace of God who can do it in you if you allow Him to do it, if you give Him the space to do it. If you are grasping on to certain situations or people or things and you can't let go, again, I get it, I understand that, but then your hands aren't free to have your heart then uplifted in prayer and praise. Sometimes we have to let go for God to be able to give that space in us to truly renew and restore our lives by a miracle which is greater than we can ever imagine. And we know because we are told in His Word, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. You know, heaven is not a desert deprived and depopulated of people. Remember that the book of the Apocalypse uses the number 144,000 when John has the vision of heaven. And some people look at that and they think, 144,000, my gosh, there's more people in Greenville County than that. So, you know, you go to heaven, look around, where is everybody? They must be in the other place, right? But the symbolism of numbers in the Scripture is very different than our modern mathematical calculations. 144,000 is a symbol of multitudes upon multitudes. Now, you may get there and look around and be like, how did you get here, right? 
But you're not going to say, I don't want you here, because otherwise you wouldn't be there either, right? God has his way. He knows what he's doing. And it means that there is a communion of saints where there is no more sin. There is no more division. There is no more suffering. There is no more pain. There is no more death. There is no more of anything but God and God alone. And when we come to Mass, we see just a little bit of that veil drawn back to that communion of saints. They are those whose robes were washed in the blood of the Lamb, who have fought the good fight and finished the race. They know what you're going through. They know what's in your heart. They know your anxieties and your fears. And are they sitting there like, well, I've won. (laughs) Have fun with that. Of course not. They're intercessors with God. They're our best friends and our best cheerleaders. They care because they have lived as we have lived. They are witnesses to the marvelous works of the Lord in them and in you too. Now, the Scripture also tells us, in your struggle against sin, you have not resisted yet to the shedding of blood. Don't wait until tomorrow. Because that day may never come. The day of the Lord, the acceptable time has come. It's here right now. Don't look for it in your calendar on another day and another month and another year. It's right here, right now. And it's here for us to renew the grace of our adoption as sons and daughters of God and go forth in faith to win the crown of eternal glory.